See, we alive right now, and I'm so glad y'all didn't just hear what Sam Brown just said. I'm so glad that y'all did. You want those seven things you can't say on TV that George Carlin's talking about? I'm so glad you guys did. I, I was, Sam, I was quick with that. Sam, Sam before we get started, too. before we get started, Sam, tell me about this crazy game you had the other night: 40-34 double overtime, and you had to block an extra point, a point to to stay in it. What happened? All right, so. <laughs> We um we stopped them on fourth down like a minute to go. They had no timeouts left. We're taking a knee. We haven't we we're not good enough on offense yet to work victory formation yet. And um we had to actually we took a knee. The second one time we took a knee, the snap got miscombobulated and it went to the end zone. And we didn't take a safety. We ended up letting them get on it and they scored. They could have went for two to win the game, but they elected kick the extra point. And um once that happened, it went into overtime. We scored right away. Uh, no, third down, third and one we scored. Went to kick the extra point. It got blocked. Um, crazy. And um, they, on fourth and five or fourth and four, yeah. they didn't they didn't throw the ball. They did a, re- a really good play design with, to number 21. He went up the gut, scored a touchdown. All they got to do, all they got to do is kick Made the extra, extra point. point. Game is over. We right. blocked the extra point. Went in the double overtime. We stopped them. Like a, we got a pick on third down, and then we scored on first down or second down, and the game was over. It was crazy. Oh, wait, so you saying that y'all don't know how to like get under the center and take the snap and take a knee? No, because like we always did it from gun. That's a that's a grace, grace. Is that, is that coaching one on one? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. We just got I mean, we got not, a not court. We, got a, we, got a, we always in Thursday practice with a nice little victory formation. No, because mm-hmm. we we had to do it. So no, no, no. I get it. We did it. Uh, we did the end of the first half. But I mean, again, like like Griner says, sometimes you're in the heat of battle, and sometimes I'll just throw a formation up, and then I'll have to like we'll have to adjust it on the fly. <laughs> but I think it hurts Griner not having that. That that you know that quarterback, he's got a freshman quarterback. I got a senior that's gonna make me right. So it's gonna look it's gonna look like we we you know I just went in there and said, dang it, here's our personnel, get us in victory, and guys are able to be fine. He's got a freshman that doesn't have his voice yet, so it can be tough though. So I, I get it. I just can't believe Sam is one of those coaches to say we run the gun no matter where we are. On the <laughs> that's road. what I'm saying. That's the irony I want to point out. He's talking about- I can't believe that's you, Sam. I've never had a situation where we had to take a knee inside the five, and I was like, oh, shoot. This might be something we should have been under center for. Right now. Okay, we, we can start the show now. The contrarian is in the building, Mr. Bass. Here we go. We're back with another episode of Talking Preps, and Sam is raising his hand before I can even get started. Go ahead, Sam. Now, I, we just got to we got to do one thing for this show to be great. We need a background for Alex with a gigantic iron. <laughs> and that would I'll make terrible. one. We need like it's, it's got to combine everything about Alex. Like we need some sort of like contrarian iron. I mean, he does have it. You know, he. I'll background make a talking prep background with an iron in it. How's that? There you go. He can use it. He has the official background, but it's it's all good. It's all good. Um, let's hit rapid rapid fire. We got a big show.
right to it. Sam, it's recruiting time. What tips can you give to parents that are nervous about a 23 that might not have a scholarship yet or a 24 that's looking to get a scholarship? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, recruiting tips. This is for college. This I know I get accused of the other recruiting things. So let's just <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. So recruiting tips. I always say this, and I and, and I'm dead serious. To be a division one athlete, you have to have three things. And they go in this order, in my opinion. I hate to say it this way, but you have to pass the eye test. The eye test is number one. Then you got to be able to play. And if you can play and you pass the eye test, then you have to be able to qualify. And then you have to have higher grades to, to bring in. Like, say you're 2.5, like you can play really, really good, but you're not quite the eye test, but you have good grades. Then you bring in the other Division One schools. You bring in Davidson. You bring in the Ivy Leagues, things of that nature. So those are the best tips you can do. What you need to understand is enjoy high school football. I think less than what? Grice will probably know the stat better than I do but or um, Chris does. But it's less than 5% of, you know, athletes in high school go to college on scholarship. So it's very, very difficult to get a college scholarship to play football and even other sports. So – Pray that you get gigantic and you're huge and you pass the eye test. You know, you get your measurables, but most of your recruiting is done through your camps. You like certain schools and you have the capability that you can go to Clemson. You need to, you know, they're going to come find you. But some of these other schools like UNCC, it's good to go to their camps. Wake Forest is a big camp school, things of that nature. And just play really, really good for your high school right now and pressure uh, your high school coaches. And their word of mouth is as good as anybody. All right. Um, uh I lost my spot. Grace, what do you think there? Yeah, I, I think everything Griner said is, is spot on. And, you know, I think that's the focus. And I think even to add on to that is, you know, make sure your camp schedule is realistic. You know, otherwise you're donating money. I mean, I, I think looking at the Mac Brown camp a lot of times, um, you know, I, I kind of chuckle sometimes. I'm like, you know, they're doing a great job. Some of these parents and some of these kids are uh, funding these coaches that are working at their stipends and ensuring that the, the athletic program is generating revenue because um, the likelihood of anything else happening is, is slim to none. Those camps are great for the experience, but you don't want to go to those big time camps and not perform um, up to your capability. I, I think, you know, being prepared, I think, is another piece, too. Um, when you have the measurable, you have the beauty pageant stuff, I call it, where you have the height, weight, you know, your 40s, your your elders, your, your things of that nature. Going, going to these camps unprepared is a death sentence because these numbers don't just hide and stay at one school. Exactly. If you have two at one school, it's going to get out. I mean, I think – you know, that's always the big thing. I mean, we have a ton of local camps we've highlighted and, and talked about. You know, we had mm-hmm. Pat on here talking mm-hmm. about his camp, which is, you know, legit, you know, and you've got others that are. The big thing, though, is you want college coaches in attendance in those camps. But the biggest piece of it, all of this is be realistic. If your son is a 5'8 corner, go check the, the school that you're looking to go to, see how many 5'8 corners they have there, and then go and check the rest of their measurables. If your child doesn't measure up, probably not getting that scholarship. All right. Chris, Guru is back, he said last week. So who is the most surprising team in North Carolina? Well, I'm going to give you the most surprising team for me. Well, I mean, for for the fans, not for me. Uh, This is a team that I fully uh, thought was going to have a dominant uh, generational kind of year. I'm I'm kind of baffled that they haven't ended up on on some of the rankings out there. (laughs) 
Uh, but I think Smithfield Selma coming in at 6-0 and is ready to do some really good things. Uh, Coach Deron Donald has done a fabulous job of coming into that school and completely changing the mindset, uh, completely changing the culture of that school, have a lot of great-looking athletes. It's probably the best run they've had probably since Anthony Barber was there um, about 2008 or so. Uh, so I think Smithfield Selma is a team that's really on the rise. All right, Dale, what do you think? I'm kind of surprised in the opposite direction in that we don't really seem to have any major dominance across the board uh, with teams this year. I, I think football is a bit down in North Carolina, so that's kind mm-hmm. of uh, surprising. Uh, that I think East Forsyth's got a great team, and to see that we really don't have a lot of other teams challenging on that level this year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've actually got three that I was looking at earlier. Um, Lake Norman really is impressive. They're six and zero after finishing eight and four last year. Um, Independence, you know, they're really on the rise. Uh, I think they're five and one. Um, and then, you know, my alma mater, Northwest Cabarrus, after having a very mediocre season last year, they're six and one. Beat a lot of teams that they lost to last season. Okay, that's that's uh, some interesting teams across the state. I think the playoffs are going to be interesting. I kind of I don't want to jump ahead to my conference play dozens, but I think the playoffs can be interesting. Alex, uh, we heard some really uh, interesting news out of Northern California this week. They had twelve players basically have a slave auction in the locker room. They had three black players against the wall in underwear, and twelve white players screaming out prices for each one of those players. Uh, the players got the players all got kicked off the team. They didn't have enough players to continue playing. So they had to forfeit the rest of the season. They ended the season 0-6. And, and if you're a sophomore or junior, they're going to allow you to pull on the uh, JV team if you choose to do so. What do you think about this whole situation? First and foremost, there is absolutely nothing amusing about this situation. Whether a season was canceled or any on-field circumstances are less than moot. I'll address it in a second, but that's less than moot. What has to happen in this situation, I want to hit on three or four things. This situation is beyond words, and the biggest mitigating factor, I believe, is the fact that it was recorded on media, which shows willful and wanton participation of everyone who was involved, whether as an instigator of the situation, a willing participant, or someone who did not step in to stop this absolute atrocity. So that's the biggest thing here, that this was something that was done willfully and wantonly with participation and nobody stepped in to stop. This is a matter that transcends the athletics department. Not playing is the least of the concerns. How would I address this situation right here? The instigators of this situation beyond getting kicked off the team which has been done, mm-hmm. and the superintendent said that there will be further repercussions. Mm-hmm. All right, so I, everyone's everyone thinks that I'm uh, very pro Wake County. So you I are. did my research here. Go to the Wake County Public School Code of Student Conduct. Mm-hmm. Hazing is a level two, point number seventeen infraction. The full extent of penalties should apply in this situation. So the instigators should receive a ten day suspension with an educational component required to be completed prior to returning to school. That's point one. The school and the school system should cooperate willfully and fully 
with legal authorities if parents and families seek to pursue this as a civil rights issue, as a discrimination issue, as a hazing issue, and as a hate issue. Thirdly, the athletic director should act in such a way that the student athletes involved in this never again will participate in sports at that school. This was this egregious an offense. And lastly, the opportunity that was offered for student athletes who participated on the team who apparently had nothing to do with this, but when the season was canceled, they could move down to the JV team? Absolutely not. That is wrong. If your season is canceled, you're done. I'm sorry you had anything, whether you had anything to do with it, but the option to play down just basically makes light of this absolute atrocity on multiple levels, which transcends the athletics department and should have the series of repercussions that I just outlined. Yeah, I, I kind of think that the, the players that were subject to this shouldn't have to deal with seeing those kids that did it. I think they should probably be removed from school and put in an alternative school. I've been waiting to hear this answer all day, though. Gary, what do you what do you think? Well, when I, when I first heard about it, I was like, you know, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with Alex as far as punishment is concerned. But then I also looked at it as a teachable moment mm-hmm. uh, for, for all involved, not not just the ones who participated, but but members of the whole athletic department, the school community, et cetera. Uh, but then I also look at the unintended consequences. And I don't like the idea of ending the season for, for a team, especially when it wasn't the majority of the team participating. Um, You, you look at other people that are affected. We, we just looking at the football team. What about the cheerleaders? What about the marching band? What about the other schools they have to play that now don't have a game to play and the money they lose because they don't have that gate Um, concessions, all of that's, unintended consequences when you cancel a season. And that's what I don't like. Instead of moving kids down, why not move them up? Um, I'd rather have a varsity season than a JV season uh, because you you not only affect the school that was involved, you affect all the schools remaining on the schedule. And I don't think that's fair to them either. All right, Dale, I'll give you the last word here. Okay, I I read about five articles on this, and I saw the video, or I saw a video. I don't know that I have enough context to fully say everything, uh, but I'm going to assume the worst, and that's all we can do right now because we really don't have all the data. And I kind of agree with what Gary's saying. Uh, I, I watched a few people that made comments on, and I'm talking about uh, more national media, but right. yet uh, maybe progressive media, not not a ABC or somebody like that. And one of the young ladies came on and talked about how there there's really no teaching moments in what has been done so far. And as she put it, there's no restorative justice uh, that's done here because having to forfeit the remainder of the season impacts those that had nothing to do with it in a, in a very negative manner, uh, both players and others. So I believe you got to look for teaching moments and find a way to not impact negatively all those that did not have anything to do with this. 
Um, we had a big fight breakout during the Lincolnton Bandies game in the first half near the end of the half, and then down the, down the road a little bit, the East Forsyth Mount Tabor game of the week down in that area was stopped with East Forsyth up 31-13 when a fight broke out in the parking lot that kind of carried over into the uh, into the stands. And we were uh, Grice wanted us to talk to uh, one of the preeminent voices down there, Desmond Johnson, who's a radio host down there. He was at the game, so we had we asked him about what happened. All right, my man Desmond Johnson, you and I go back a long way. I know we've talked some high school football before in the past, but you know we got this non-football topic. Uh, we had a big skirmish of uh, fighting and going on in the stands over Mount Tabor on uh, Thursday night in East Forsyth's big thirty-one to thirteen victory. Uh, we're starting to see a trend of this stuff. You know things happening off the field, violence, fights taken away from what we see on the field. Um, this happened so much so that it even canceled our end of the game a few minutes early. Uh, tell us what you saw. So we were uh, broadcasting uh, East Forsyth, Mount Tabor uh, for the East Forsyth Sports Network and for Tobacco Road Sports Radio. We, we broadcast the Friday night game of the week up here. Um, and about three minutes and I think three minutes and 48 seconds to go in the game, East is up 31-13. Uh, we, we start to see deputies running towards an area uh, outside, not outside of the stadium, but kind of behind the concession stand. If you're familiar with how Mount Tabor's laid out, uh, there's not a lot of space over there. It's all kind of on top of each other. And uh, we're outside on the on the, the bleachers, you know, trying to call the game. And we actually have a vantage point that can see over top of everything of what's going on. And honestly, I mean, it was dark over there, but it looked like a uh, imagine a dark mosh pit of people just kind of you could see movement. You can't specifically see fighting or anything going on, but you can see there's something going on. And then this huge roar comes up from out of the crowd. So you can, I mean, you it's palpable. You can tell there's something happening over there. Sheriff's run over there. And then all of a sudden we just see this big plume of pepper spray come out across the crowd and, and people just start to scatter, jumping over fences, running over people. Uh, it, it just turned into a chaotic thing. It, it, I think in the end, it was just a bunch of young kids all fighting. Uh, my understanding from speaking to some teachers in the school system, there had been some stuff circulating on social media uh, prior to the game that something could possibly happen at Tabor. Um, walking in, there were more well, there was more sheriff deputies there than would normally be at a football game. So it felt in hindsight that they, maybe they had caught wind on that too. Um, and something me and Rod Funderburg, my color commentator, noticed in the fourth quarter at the start of it, the Mount Tabor home side emptied out. Like it was 31 to seven, I think at that point, but the game was still going on. We still had a full quarter to go and Mount Tabor was undefeated coming into this game, but we made a note on, on camera or on the, uh, the air that the, the side was emptying out and looking back on it, I wonder if maybe the Mount Tabor folks kind of had gotten a heads up that something was going to happen in, in the fourth quarter and we're trying to beat it and get out. Uh, but what had happened, it caused a bottleneck at the front of the stadium where it was just a big crowd just sitting there. And it was just waiting. It was just a powder keg for something to happen. And it's sad, man. It's starting to be more prevalent in high school football, not just in the area, but across the country, really. Yeah, I agree with you, Desmond. You know, you had mentioned that the, it seemed like the fans were almost anticipating it. I know that there had been some word that maybe it had been spread among social media. I know that the sheriff's department presence was up, you know, metal detectors, things like that. But we're, again, we're starting to see this, not just in Winston-Salem or in North Carolina, but all around the country. Uh, what do you think can be done? Because high school football is such a sacred event. Friday Night Lights, you know, it is a great place to take kids for entertainment, uh, for students to gather. Obviously, the field itself, to see these young people uh, give it their all on the gridiron. But what do you think can be done uh, to keep these events safe and, and to keep people still being able to go enjoy their family members, their friends, their students, their colleagues out there on the field? 
man, that's uh, that's a complicated question. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know at this point. This happened earlier uh, in the year in the triad at Durham, uh, Durham Hillside versus Dudley. Uh, that game actually got called at halftime. Uh, this game was pretty much decided. I don't know if you have to make it where kids have to come in with parents because, I mean, you know, guys, lots of times kids are at the game without their parents. Uh, that's kind of where you go to, to let loose <laughs> for the end of the week. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to that point. Uh, I don't know. There's really not a, a clear answer to what to do about it because we're just now really getting back to some sense of, of normality from coming out of COVID from the past year and a half where there were no crowds. And honestly, I think we really need to start right there. I think a lot of this came from these kids being at home for a year and a half on Zoom. And now we've just kind of put them back in school as if everything is normal and it's not. And these kids are going to get affected by this, uh, what just happened for years we won't know for years the full effect of what happened with COVID on this generation of kids from like seventh grade through high school that's a critical part of you know growing up and they spent it at home and I think we're starting to see that the 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 effects of that coming out now in public because I think from my understanding I spoke to a sheriff when I was walking out it was all young kids fighting like eighth grade ninth grade like that age 14 15 year old kids um and that's a huge difference so We'll see. Uh, we'll see what they can do, but honestly, it's really up to the teachers and parents and the communities to kind of chip in and kind of get this back on track. But it's not a quick solution at all. I don't believe. All right, Dad. Kind of picking back on what Desmond so eloquently said right there. Um, what should we do to try to slow this kind of thing down? Because I worry that kids are going to continue to do these types of things. We end up with Saturday games, Saturday morning games, or more games being postponed. I mean, I know we're going to metal detectors and clear bags and you can't go to games if you're in middle school without a chaperone. Is that enough or should we be doing something else? Was that for me? Yes, that's for you, sir. Okay. Yeah. I had this discussion last night with someone and I, you know, when, when it's always been, as he mentioned, Friday nights are where kids go and they kind of let loose and there's, they're, they're not there for the game. They're there to be with their friends, et cetera. But we did used to have more adults, more teachers, et cetera. And I don't know if that curbed some of this stuff and if it would curb some of it. And could we ask teachers and more adults to be there? Or as was suggested, maybe we're going to have to move to games to Saturdays and play them in the daylight. Um, you know, I, I I don't know. This is this is a, a scary thing that I'm afraid is just going to keep trending in the wrong way. And I I don't know how you address it without getting more adults in the environment to kind of uh, call some caution to kids to want to do that. I think kids may have to start policing themselves and understand that they have to not do certain things so they can have what it is they want. What do you think, Guru? You know, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is because, uh, again, it's just such a complex. Kind of like what Gary and alluded to a little bit ago, talking about you know the the deal in Northern California. You know, there's going to be so many unintended consequences if if you in go ahead with some of these you know Saturday games or limiting uh, crowd uh, availability of going to the games, whatever like that. You're going to have family members, uh, students, maybe people that just don't get to go, and we're already seeing the sport. And when I mean the sport, football in general starting to struggle so bad with participation, whether it be playing, fans, uh, people showing up to the games. 
And 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 so I don't know. You know, you don't want to hamstring these schools and take away their ability to make money. But yet, safety has got to be first and foremost. Yeah, Cameron, you're a younger guy. I just I'm just curious, what's your perspective here? I mean, what what can we do to to prevent these types of things from happening? You think, if anything, there's not much you can do. Um, it's sad that it's a reality, but it's going to continue to happen as long as. People will have selfish mentalities, in my opinion. You know, they want what they only preach their side of an issue, and so there's going to be fights. It shouldn't happen, but I think it'll continue to happen. I don't know if there's a way that we can police this effectively. Uh, and as far as like Alex said in the chat, your kids won't police themselves. So I don't think that's a that's something that's feasible. Yeah, well, I hope it slows down because I know administrators can only go like, so far like, before they make changes. Go ahead, um, um, one, one of the things I think we've gotten away, away from, from, from is, is holding, holding parents, parents accountable. accountable. Mm. Uh, uh, it happens in the schools uh, considerably, considerably there, there, there are fights at every, every public school, or most public schools, I would say. And kids get a few days off and then they come back. But, but I don't know, I don't if, know there if there are any consequences for the parents. Because the parents can have the greatest influence on, on these kids at that middle school age when they say they're eighth and ninth graders. And, and they, they, they missed a lot of socialization during COVID. But still, there's got to be a healthy respect for parental authority, which I think is lost. Uh, and uh, a lot and of a these lot of incidences, incidences um, um, there's no, there's no, no, I, no I, when I was when growing I was up, you, up, parents didn't want to be friends, friends with these kids. And, and mm. I think, I think it's, it's a generation that have many parents don't want to be friends with kids. kids. And, and they just kind of blow it over on, on a lot of punishment and, and consequences for bad behavior. And it, it you know, if it's not addressed, at an earlier age, it continues throughout high school. And I just don't, you know, I had I had a principal one time, when there was a fight at school, he had the police lock both combatants up. They got locked up. And the parents had to go downtown to, to CMPD and get the kid out of jail. Right. Now, if you think about having to pay bail, getting off your job, job to address your kid's behavior, that kid that won't happen again. don't think twice about that. Yeah. But they don't do that anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, Chris, you know, we get all excited about these early season matchups. You know, it's Chambers and Gibbons and it's Mallet Creek and Gaffney. I mean, all these big matchups every week. Then we get the conference play. And it kind of, you know, we kind of hit the 50 to nothing doldrums. How do the teams stay focused during that and get ready for the playoffs when some of the games and, and really the majority of the games, like take a Shelby, for example, aren't competitive. Yeah. I had an opportunity many, many months ago to coach on some really good football teams, a team that had won back-to-back conference championships in the CPC, um, a, a really strong Douglas Bird team uh, that obviously uh, was state championship bound. So, you know, I, I've seen some really good football and, and, and understand what it's like to be on a good team that maybe can just roll right through a conference and win a lot of these games. Uh, 
heavy handed and, and, and not seemingly have to go through a lot. So I think as a coach and, and, you know, as a program, when you're going through that, you've just got to make sure that your practices are so super structured. You're getting the most out of your practices because quite honestly, if you're a team that good, you may get more out of your practices than you do out of the games themselves. Um, make sure that you're trying out personnel groupings, whatever it takes uh, to maybe get yourselves prepared for that November uh, football playing date when it, when it really matters. And, and, you know, I want to kind of yield to Sam or Grice on that as well. Cause you know, they're in yeah, the I right just now. Just about to toss, yeah. I was just about to toss to Sam. You, you got a ring. I mean, what, what, you know, tell me about it. How to stay playoff, playoff focus during conference play. If some of those games are competitive, your conference is a little different, but there's some conferences. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. My conference, I'm like, I'm the one getting bullied sometimes. I got, I got to just tag it. Uh, it's two different ways to look at it. If you're one of the dominant teams uh, and your conference is a little bit weaker, you're trying to work on your craft. You, you're con you're constantly trying to get yourself better, your craft as a team. Don't play down to someone else's level. It could be little things about pre- and post-snap penalties before you reach. Um, you, you, you practice a little harder throughout the week and be competitive. A little bit tougher on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, things of that nature. If Fridays is not going to be a big war necessarily, and you're going to win by 30 or 40 points, then you have to do certain things to make sure you're tough before it gets to be winter time where you're going against tougher competition. Right. It right. just depends. Grace. I mean, again, our focus, no matter who we're playing, is us. I don't care about the opponent. I don't care about necessarily what they're trying to do. It's about us being the best version. I mean, I think that's. That's something that we beat in our heads in spring ball. I don't care who we're playing and what that is and continue to emphasize that. If we have a job to do, we do it as best, you know, as best as possible. One of our mottos is end every possession with a kick. You know, that's that's first starting there. Then if that team is is whatever, let's end every possession with a score. But always competing or setting a goal in front of us, no matter who it is, we're setting a goal that we have to reach. We're focused on that, not on the score, not on our stats, not on how we feel, but achieving a goal. All right. Well, Sam, you got lucky today, my friend. Um, Deshaun Medley from Hickory is supposed to be on, but he's not signed in. Deshaun, uh -oh. you can sign in, and we'll uh, go with Sam. But I, I, Sam, you got lucky. I, I mean, what's the game? I don't know what happened. Uh oh, Sam, hold on, Cam. Cam, we have a competitor into the chat. Come on. All right, so let's go. Let's. Uh, <laughs> I don't Man, play. Uh, all right, I, let's 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 give Deshaun. I'll give Deshaun like five more minutes to come on. And, and and we'll let him take you on. Otherwise, we we'll go with Cam. But right now, we're going to bring Chelsea in. I'm not going. We're going. We're going. We're going, let, we're going to let Chelsea introduce. Who'd you talk to this week, Chelsea? You on mute though? Can you hear me now? Now I can hear you. This is all that Chick Fil A tea you've been drinking. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so this week, I interviewed class of 2024 Millbrook football athlete Jaden Ferguson. And we talked about his game last Thursday night against Heritage. He had a really good defensive performance. Um, I got to see him when they played against Stevenson. And, you know, the Milbert program this year is just incredible. So I thought it would be great to talk with him. Yeah, absolutely. And before we put that in, Sam, Deshaun Medley just showed up. You in trouble, uh -oh. man. Uh -oh. Deshaun, where were you at, man? Oh, um, my internet – and then right. right. he was still scoring touchdowns. That's we're what gonna, we're going to come back to you. Five minutes. Don't go nowhere. All right. We're gonna put we're gonna put Chelsea on Chelsea's world. <laughs> on Chelsea's world. Make sure to hit her on our social media. This week.
become interviewing class of 2024 football athlete Jaden Ferguson from Millbrook High School. So, Jaden, last Thursday, you guys played an excellent matchup against Heritage, came out with the win 28 to 6. Kind of talk about how you guys went into that game, how you came out with the win, and really emphasize on the defensive end. So, um, our mindset going into the game was we, we were going to win. We had to win. Uh, we had to be undefeated. We couldn't take anything else other than that. So, before the game, we all got together. We huddled up. We did our, you know, we had a pregame chant. We did our pregame speech. Everyone taught, seniors led. And then 30 minutes before the game, everyone kind of got in their zone. They listened to music. They stretched. They went over plays if they needed to. And then heading on to the field, we all felt that energy, you know, that energy before the game. Um, defense came out strong. They got to stop, made the punt. And we were going to keep that energy going throughout the whole game. So defensively, um, that was probably our best game yet. Uh, we held them to no scores off our defense. We held them to very minimal yards. And that's that was our mindset throughout the whole game, was they couldn't get any more than this. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's going to be a similar mindset for this Friday against Roseville. What can we expect from that game? You can expect the exact same thing. Roseville, I will give them credit, is a good team. I, however, will have to say we are better. Um, Roseville's good. But our defense, I feel like, will be able to stop the Roseville's offense, especially if we play like we did last Thursday. And Jaden, kind of tell us about your recruiting process a bit. I know you've kind of touched base with some campuses, done some visits. Tell us how it's going. Uh, it's going really well, actually. I went to UNC Charlotte uh, yesterday, actually, when they played UTEP. Um, that was fun. I got to meet a couple of their coaches, talk to their head coach. And it was obviously a fun experience. I got to travel to Charlotte. That was a fun drive. Uh, I went to State and I went to Duke. Before that, I played, I watched Duke play. Uh, and that was a fun experience. Uh, I think, however, my favorite game would have to be NC State. Just the environment of the stadium. It's very lively. Um, I got to with my mom and dad, which is pretty fun. Absolutely. All great schools. Yeah. And Jaden, for those who don't know you as a player, kind of tell us about who you are on the field and maybe a bit off the field. Uh, on the field, I'm a very locked-in player. I feel like I play my assignments really well. I do my job correctly, and I hold myself accountable when I don't do that and I fail to do that. I also hold my teammates accountable um, when they fail to do their job, or I'll let them know if I notice something the offense is doing. I'll be like, hey, Newcomb, Newcomb, they're doing this. Watch the outside zone, watch the outside zone. And sure enough, they're able to do that. So I feel like I'm able to read really well. And then off the field, I feel like I'm able to hype up my teammates, uh, get them going, get them excited for what's going on and what's coming up. Absolutely. And Jaden, I would love to get from a player's perspective. What do you think really separates Millbrook from the other schools in your conference and even the Raleigh region? Uh, what separates Millbrook from us, from other schools, I would feel like, is our family incorporated environment. That's our culture is family. Other schools may say, yeah, we're a family, we're family. And then they don't act like family. I feel like Millbrook acts like a family. I feel like using my brothers and I play with them and we fight like brothers and we argue like brothers. We also get along like brothers, which is what's able to get us to win games and to make big plays and celebrate on the sideline and obviously have a good time enjoying the love game of football. Absolutely. And Jaden, what are some of your kind of personal goals this season? I know you have one more season ahead of you, but just to finish off this season, what are you shooting for? Uh, I've been hoping to get, uh, so before the season started, I was trying to get, at least five sacks, five tackles 
um, per game and at least two of those be sacks. So far, I have gotten close. I average with a sack a game mm -hmm. um, and I average with five sacks a game, which I think I've hit my goal. I'm ready to finish the season off and keep that stat chart. I'm also trying to get an interception uh, from now until the end of the season. So that would be fun. Well, best of luck this season, especially this Friday against Roseville. Again, this is Jaden Ferguson, Millbrook Football Cups in 2024. Thank you so much for hopping on. And Chelsea is another home run. Deshaun, you got any teammates you think might want to be on with Chelsea? <laughs> um, Chelsea is another home run. Maybe my quarterback. Quarterback. All right, well, Chelsea, tell Deshaun how the quarterback can get on Chelsea World. To get featured on Chelsea's World, my Twitter and Instagram is at Chelsea Siffle. You can shoot me a DM, and I'd love to set something up. See, Deshaun is real easy. You just tell your quarterback, hit Chelsea up, and he might be on next week. You never know. <laughs> Chelsea, you can't say shoot me like hit my. You gotta say it like you always. What is it? Hit my DMs. Hit my DMs. Oh, yeah. Hit my DMs. Yeah, hit there my we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sam loves that. Deshaun, man, you had a heck of a game Friday night. Um, three hundred yards, and you touched the ball like five times or something crazy like yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. What was that like, man? Uh, it was it was great. Um, we came out like first half, kind of, kind of low, kind of like. Not playing, doing our thing. We was down twenty. Did you just get walked right there. <laughs> <laughs> we was down, right, Don't let him interrupt you. You doing your thing? Down twenty zero. Uh, in the first half, came out towards the, end of the second quarter, and I scored two touchdowns. Then and then, after that, came back in the second half, scored two touchdowns, and then after that, they let you get. Down the middle like that, you just read two touchdowns. That's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, Sam, what are you seeing in this young man as you watch the film? Well, it's definitely in the scheme of what they got going on is really good. He catches the ball really clean. You can tell that when he makes it, makes the catch, he catches it in stride. It doesn't like it's not real glitchy. He's really smooth. He trusts his hands. Um, you know, I, I bet you he's probably got the best hands on the team. Nice route, good route runner. Uh, a, little, a little stiffy right there. A little stiffy. Okay. Deshaun, what's that 40 time, man? Like you're running some people, running away from some folks. Oh, man, I, 40, I don't run a 4-5. For real? A serious 4-5, not, not imaginary. No, he's a he's a legit he's a legit 4-6-7 right now. I just timed it. But it's no, all good. That, one, that, that one guy that walked that, that boy's moving. He's running away from people <laughs> in the football field. I like, what do you want to do the rest of the season, man? Tell me about, you know, what's your, what are your plans the rest of the year? Um, hopefully I can get to a thousand yards last year. I kind of ended up 700 and maybe we can like go deeper in the playoffs. We kind of lost to it. We kind of had an upset last yeah. year and. Well, it happens. It happens. So part of being on the show is you got to take on coach Griner. It's a multiple choice and you, you just have to answer the questions and he he's, he's not been doing well lately. So we have to make sure we, one time. Keep him on his losing streak. All right. So we're going to read questions. You answer the first question and then we'll go back and forth. And I got to play his little theme music because I'm contractually obligated to play his little theme music. So after <laughs> I do that, we'll get back to it. Brother, I'm not MJ, just coach Griner but I'm the GOAT of the game show. Alex I need to get that shape up back. That shape up was clean right there. Let's I forgot go, about that. Go. Let's go, Alex. 
With 546 yards in five games, he is the ACC's leading rusher. Who is he? A, Israel Abinakanda Pitt. B, Sean Tucker of Syracuse. C, Malik Cunningham of Louisville. Or D, Will Shipley of Clemson. Sam was so scared of Will Shipley last year. What, what do you think, uh, Deshaun? What's your answer? Uh, I think it's Will. Will uh, Shipley. Yeah, I saw him playing. Yeah, yeah. Play. Sam, Sam was scared of Will in high school. Just absolutely scared of that man. I, I love the guy. He is Moxie. Is he's one of my favorite guys we've ever covered. I am not going to lie about that. All right, what's your answer here? Uh, it's not going to be Will Shipley. It's not. It's gonna, no, it's not. It's now, every be... time I put Janet Jackson on the screen, it's Janet Jackson. You always guess wrong. That is true, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Sean Tucker from Syracuse. Sean Tucker from Syracuse is the correct answer. Sam is up one nothing. I tried to help you, Sean. I tried to steer him away. But yeah. he, he he seemed like he was sure of that answer. I don't think he's going to be sure of this answer coming up. <laughs> With a rap question? With another rap? <laughs> I, no, I don't have any rap questions this week, but I got a question about my guy coming up, um, and Chelsea's going to read it. UNC quarterback Drake May has 22 total touchdowns in five games. Only two ACC quarterbacks have ever done that in the past 15 years. One is Lamar Jackson. Who is the other? Jameis Winston, Florida State, Kenny Pickett, Pitt. Matt Ryan, Boston College, or D, Deshaun Watson, Clemson. Samuel, what is the answer? Wow, that's pretty good. Mm, yeah, Leanne's on it this week. Yeah, I'm going to go see Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. All right, Deshaun, what you got? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. The answer is Kenny Pickett, surprisingly enough. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have went Jameis Winston before. Yeah, Jameis, Jameis. I, I thought I thought both of you guys would guess Jameis or um, Deshaun Watson. All right, Alex is next, and it's not a rap question, Sam, but it is a popular music question. <laughs> is it Christian? I mean, it's we not, got it. It's not. It's not you Christian. Me, I, I'm, I'm I'm batting a thousand on those. It's not. It's not. I got. I'm having trouble finding it. Hold on a second. That's I got you. Question? Huh? I got you. We'll work with our audio learners here. <laughs> I still have trouble. This is it right here. Okay, here we go. He has the number one song in the country, Bad Habit, and he was once the guitarist for the rhythm and blues band, The Internet. Who is he? A, Steve Lacey, B, Sam Smith, C, Post Malone, D, Luke Combs. All right, come on, Deshaun. This is popular culture. This is you. <clears throat> I, don't, uh, I don't know. Um, um, the number I, one song in the country. Y'all young people are playing this over and over. You're streaming it on the phone over and over and over again. I thought for sure you know this. Give me a good guess. I might have heard it, but I don't know, I don't know the people. I'm going to say Sam Smith. Sam Smith. Samuel, what you got? I like Sam Smith. That sounds good. The answer is Steve Lacey. Yeah, I'm definitely not guessing that. Yeah, he has a number one song in the country. That band, the internet, was great. I used to love them. I hate that uh, they had a lead singer, Sid, who had a really good career as a solo artist as well. Um, all right, so Sam's still leading one to nothing, and it is on Chelsea. Dwayne, The Rock Johnson's highly debuted anticipated Black Adam movie debuts this month. Who plays the role of Dr. Fate, the magician slash sorcerer? A, Robert Downey Jr., B, Pierce Brosnan, C, Benedict Cumberbatch, or D, Henry Colville? Sam. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to go C, Benedict. Benedict Cumberbatch. All right. What you got, uh, Deshaun? Um, uh, I'm going to go with A, Robert Downey Jr. 
Benedict Cumberbatch does play a magician sorcerer. He plays it in Marvel. He's Doctor Strange. So that's right. That's that guy. Yeah, yeah. The answer. The answer is actually Pierce Brosnan. Pierce, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. James Bond. James Bond is playing that role. Uh, so well, Sam is up one to nothing. So you got to get this last question to to tie him so he can't get a win. Now, we can't let him get a win. And you better get this question right. They're probably not gonna let you play when you go back next week. Uh, this I week. hope. I hope you do get it right. Let's go, Max. In 1996, Hickory High went 16-0 and won the NC3A state title. That team scored at least 30 points every game and outscored playoff opponents 212-34. to Who did Hickory beat 42 to nothing in the finals? A, Jamestown Ragsdale, B, Burlington Williams, C, Bertie, D, Eastern Randolph. Deshaun, let's go. Um, I'm going to go with um, A, Jamestown Jamestown Ragsdale. Jamestown Ragsdale. Samuel, what you got? I'll give him a chance. I'll go D, Eastern Randolph. You should not have given him a chance. You should have played four corners like you normally do. It was 42 nothing. they beat Jamestown Ragsdale, one of the best high school football teams I've covered. That that team was, was phenomenal. Yeah, Eastern Randolph. I'm so I'm glad you got that question right, Deshaun. I think they let you back home if you, if you didn't get that one right. That might be true. Yeah, but look, man, have your quarterback reach out to, to Chelsea on, on hit on the DMs. We get him on the show. Thanks for coming on. I'm glad you ended that guy going. The best of luck this week. You had a great game last week. And keep hey. watching the show because they're going to talk about you later on. All right? They're going to talk about yeah, it. I think you're going to like what they have to say, too. All right, that's my man, Deshaun, uh, from uh, Hickory. Uh, so where I'm, I'm totally lost where I'm at. We did, we did. Oh, it's time for Grice's gyms. That's what it's time for. We got to find out who, uh, where's Grice? We got to find out who Grice and Chris, who has his head down. Chris not expecting me to come here right now. We had to we had to find out who they pick is the North Carolina high school football players of the week. Here we go. All right, my man, Coach Grice, going into week eight of the 2022 high school football season. It is crunch time, so, you know, all these performances matter. Uh, playoff perform- Playoffs on the line. Uh, and here we are. We got some great Grice's gems. Uh, let's go right to it. Let's go to one of the top players in the state of North Carolina up there to uh, Pilot Mountain East Surrey High School, Folger Boaz. This young man went 29 of 41, 348 yards, five touchdowns, seven carries for 88 yards, and a 41 to 19 victory over Wilk Central. Coach Christ, we've talked a lot about him, but, man, look at him right there on the field going down the sideline. This guy has it all. Oh, again, when you consider a guy like Folger Boaz, you know, again, Mr. Football guy, one that we've been watching for one of the best quarterbacks in the state. No surprise that he's given us a performance like this that's worthy of a Grice's gym. I've been waiting all you know all year. He's had some great performances. I wanted to see him get in the conference and really show those standout performances against those guys not that grew up not too far away from him. They know who he is. Those coaches all week have been looking to stop him, and he still puts his great performance out. So we had to give him the Grice's gym this week. Coach, I know that you're an offensive coordinator and a quarterback guru in your own rights, and you see him right there. He is a left-handed gunslinger. We also know of his baseball prowess. How how does that change your coaching if you had a left-handed quarterback like that? I mean, again, it's fun. You get to, you know, kind of go into some of your your, your mirror drills so you're, you're able to kind of look across from him and do the same things. I think the big thing about him being a baseball player, you know, weight transfer and some of those innate things that involve throwing the ball are great for him. Those things make it easier for a guy like that. But, again, at the end of the day, it's utilizing the same things from a left-handed or a right-handed guy to get that ball out and get it to where it's supposed to go on time. All right, let's head over to Raleigh, North Carolina. The Eastern North Carolina game of the week is a 28-6 win over a previously unbeaten Heritage. Um, Millbrook High School's 
Jaden Ferguson had five tackles, two sacks, three for a loss. I mean, you know, we always highlight the offensive guys, but we've got some defensive men this week making some waves, and this was a strong enough defensive performance against an offensive team uh, that was really clicking, uh, and he certainly got the call. Oh, it had to. Again, this game focused around, you know, two offensive juggernauts and two quarterbacks that we've looked at in the state as some of the best guys. But, you know, I actually got to watch this for the first time, really got to sit here and watch these games. It really stood on both sides that defense was going to be what ruled the evening. And Jaden Ferguson was one of those guys for the team that came out victorious. So glad to highlight him. You know, that Eastern game of the week ended up being a defensive slugfest, which I do love, contrary to popular belief. And Jaden Ferguson was one of the stars out of that game all right this next young man uh, we're going to go all the way over to newton conover high school and i promise i'm going to age myself in this but looking at the film of him was like when i was playing with lawrence taylor on tecmo bowl in the 80s and 90s uh, yeah. i mean he was just all over the field uh but newton conover's ben watson the senior linebacker had 24 tackles that's right 24 tackles 14 uh solo 10 assist uh one tackle for a loss a sack and a fumble recovery in thursday's 28 20 victory over east burke uh, man, that is a defensive sure. monstrous performance. I mean, you look at this guy. I mean, some of his play recognition, you can tell he was in the film room all week getting ready for this game. I mean, you saw the recognition of the screen. He was able to get out there on that back to make sure if he got the ball, he wasn't going anywhere. You know, and again, you see this phone booth football. We talk about it all the time. A lot of these stat you know, accumulators on the defensive side when playing these phone, this phone booth football, if you're a box-to-box guy that can make tackles and fill your gaps, you're going to be successful. And they gave him those opportunities. He was able to take advantage. All right, and we got one last guy uh, here in the Hickory area. Uh, we're going to go over to Hickory High School uh, just down the street from Newton Conover, uh, Deshaun Medley, and a 42-28 victory over their rival. Uh, man, look at him go right there on that film. Sure. 42-28 victory over rival St. Stephen's. Medley had five catches, 224 yards, three touchdowns, had two carries for 78 yards and a score. That's seven touches for 302 yards and four scores and all. That's a heck of a stat sheet. That is a big-time athlete. I mean, you look at his size. I mean, he already looks like a freak out there. But one thing about it, I love the high efficiency. You get that ball, you are taking that ball as far as you can, giving the play. And, I mean, you look at this, and I don't know where those defensive guys are going because clearly, unless this was the first play of the game, he was already doing some amazing stuff. You had to recognize him on film as being a top player to watch. So these guys losing him in coverage and, and one guy being, you know, responsible for him, I don't know what they had going on, but I do know Deshaun Medley took that and took advantage of their lack of uh, focus on him for this week. Outstanding. Uh, Deshaun Medley, you certainly get to call this week. And finally, we're going to bring one man on the screen, Adriel Miller, Central Cabarrus High School. Uh, glad to have you on the screen because you were so good this week that we had to bring you on in person and, and discuss this game. Uh, the senior wide receiver had – Seven catches, 197 yards, four touchdowns, Ooh. and a 43-20 to 20 victory over my South Rowan Raiders, by the way. Oh. Uh, also had an interception on defense. And by the way, if that was not enough, yeah. name the homecoming king. Come, Come on. on. <laughs> I don't know if we've had that. This is the first Grice's Gym where we had a guy with a big-time performance and get named homecoming king. I mean, we, I love the first chance, but – Adriel, talk about that. I, we got to start with the fun first. So, you know, I know you you know, you know, guys put out your stuff for Hoko, as the kids call it these days. Guru, you wouldn't yeah. know about that. You're too old. So, like, <laughs> how close did you feel like that you were to becoming homecoming king? Was it something that you're thinking about? Because I know us as coaches hate that. Like, we're like, yo, get that crap later. But, you know, was it in your head and kind of how did it play into this this weekend? So so I knew it was happening. But, of course, I was going to stay locked in, in the game. And of course, of course. Right, when it was over, I, I got locked in again. But <laughs> – 
Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't really know the chances of me winning it. So when I when they called my name, I was very surprised. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you know, I guess with that, you know, coming into this game, clearly, you know, you had a big time game. You know, South Rowan, I felt like you know, was a team that you guys could take advantage of. Talk about kind of coming off of those, you know, those couple losses that you guys had and the mentality going into practice because you guys came in with a big time performance. Yes, sir. Um, we had we had to stay on our guys all practice because we've had we've had injuries. And we're we're hungrier than ever right now, and we just got to keep on going, because, yeah, th- those losses really hurt, especially as a senior. Going to your last year, you lose about two straight games. You can't have that stuff. So, on practice, I'm making sure I'm harder on my guys and making sure we don't me- mess around in practice, so we're getting stuff done. Definitely. So looking forward, I mean, I, I, you know, looking at you guys' schedule, I feel like you have a couple games you can take advantage of. Of course, until you get, you know, not looking too far to that big time game against Northwest later on. Talk yeah. about the mentality and where you guys are and how far you think you can go and kind of make a run and make it uh, make it into the playoffs. Um, yeah, we just can't take teams for granted, and we gotta we gotta really come out and punch teams in the mouth as soon as we can, and we just gotta keep keep rolling. Of course, we got. You know, a couple favorable games, but we like West Rowan, Northwest. We got a couple tough games on the schedule, so we just got to be ready to play, play great under the uh, bright lights, and get stuff done. Well, Adriel, we appreciate you coming on today and talking about this incredible game. Obviously, uh, Central Cabarrus and, and Coach Bevelacqua and all you guys have things going on uh, heading into that very tough conference season. Uh, so, uh, good luck to you guys the rest of the year. We appreciate you coming on and, and just showing off this incredible performance again. Not only. Uh, the touchdowns and the catches and the interception, the, the Mr. Homecoming. I mean, that, hey, I, that was just incredible. Hey. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Definitely All right, my man. Uh, Coach Christ, uh, how, how can we get uh, someone else gets to call? Uh, how can they get in touch with us here on the show? Guys, if you ball, like we tell you every week, DM me at Coach J. Grice on Twitter. You guys have been amazing. We've really had some tough things to narrow the the, the selections down. Uh, reach out to me. Reach out to Ed Langston Works Jr. Reach out to Ed Observer Preps. Please let us know. If you're balling, send us what happened. Send us your stats. Send us the film. Guys, I understand, you know, you have a big time Friday night. It is okay Saturday morning as you get your official stats to send those out. Please accompany those with film. Again, if you don't have film, we're probably not going to put you on here. I mean, honestly, just we want to showcase what you've done. We want everybody to see it. We want colleges, if they're watching, to see it. So we want to get you guys out there with the most exposure as possible. But as we say, and we rank true this is what girl week seven going into week eight one week eight going into week eight if you ball you get the call man it's true if you ball you do get the call and then you can be anywhere in north carolina what do we say is it murphyo i always get it wrong murphyo i'm putting him out again who that fella reminds you of prince (laughs) (laughs) and a revolution (laughs) <laughs> uh, when, he, when he signed on uh, to, to do the interview with Graxton, I was in the back like, man, that dude, I want, first of all, I want his hair. And second of all, he was like, that's right. I want his hair. Oh, man. That, that oh, kid's, man. I, I love having the kids on the same house, Graxton, as I did. When you get one who, who talks like that, it's, 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 uh, it's great. Uh, all right, so we're not doing Mr. Football this week, but next week, Grace, you're on the clock. I needed some extra time, but we got to cut this thing down to 12, man. It's been a lot of great performances, but I'll look up. Heck, I don't, we only have, what, four more weeks to the end of the regular season. I yeah. cannot believe it. Yeah, it's going by fast. So you guys make sure you tune in next week to see who are the top 12. I guess there won't be a bubble list because he's cutting it down to 12. Uh, but now it's time to find out who are the uh, top game or what are, what are what are the top games in the what state as well. Mr. Bass. 
All right, here we go. Uh, we'll start off with our East and West games of the week, which we'll mention, but circle back around at the end. I think we're all very anxious to hear one of our state's leading offensive coordinators, Jonathan Grice, <laughs> give everyone profound insight about how he would approach game planning versus Nick Drew's defense with the, conf with the conference championship on the line. So we'll come back around to that in a minute. But East and West, Gibbons Leesville Road is the East game of the week. South Point at Kings Mountain is the West game of the week. Other games of the week we want to watch, region by region in the state, and this was really nice because we were able to get something from each NCHSAA region. Mm. It would just go straight through beginning with Region 1, which is a great Pitt County matchup, Conley and Rose, always a great rivalry. And Region 2, and two uh, community-driven programs, Kinston and James Keenan, James Keenan out of Duplin County with the championship pedigree through the years. Region three, Hillside and Riverside. Hillside undefeated, obviously, with that sh uh, shortened game versus Dudley earlier this year, but still undefeated rolling right along with Riverside with just one loss. Great Durham County rivalry there. Now, region four, Pinecrest and Lee County, and that overlap, Sand Hills, 4A, 3A. Pinecrest getting it done at the 4A level. Lee County still undefeated at the 3A level, so split classification deal, but a great conference matchup there in Sanford. Uh, region 5, Trinity and Eastern Randolph. Eastern Randolph, 1A program. Uh, Trinity at the 2A level, still emerging in many ways, but I want everyone to take this opportunity to pay attention to Trinity junior quarterback Dominic Payne, one of the great multi-sport athletes in our state football and basketball standout. Region 6, Porter Ridge and Weddington, another great Union County rivalry, very fitting after Clemson gets that big win with uh, Will Shipley. Mm. The uh, Weddington machine just keeps on chugging along. Uh, Region 7, we have Lake Norman hosting or Lake Norman traveling to Hickory Ridge. Always great to see Coach Jupiter Wilson's team in the mix. And in Region 8, West Henderson and Pisgah. Uh, very important this week, and we want to take the opportunity to acknowledge the Pisgah community, which still is rebounding from a flood a year ago. And then we had a tough situation last week with flooding throughout the state and multiple levels. But Pisgah continues to persevere. That P is for Pisgah. That P is for perseverance. So our thoughts are with not only the Pisgah community, but all of the state impacted by last week's adverse weather. And we applaud the perseverance of students, athletes, schools, families, and everyone beset by any challenges in these times. Yeah. One thing I didn't notice, Alex, there's no CMS games this week. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. And that, and, that, and that was done intentionally because there is not a single CMS game this week that has any degree of relevance on the state level. And once again, that's not a slight to Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. It's just an acknowledgement of what we've discussed on this program previously, that Charlotte Mecklenburg schools historically has not done what it can to put itself in the most favorable positions from an average daily membership perspective that is needed to create a better conference balance. And we've talked about that on this program. That's nothing well, I haven't said. That's nothing no one else has said. So yeah, that being said, you get into situations like this where there are no games of any meaningful significance in on a state level this week. We all know some of the best teams are in Charlotte. Everyone knows that. But from a game perspective 
this week, it's irrelevant. Okay. Well, last week, Gary and Dale gave uh, what I thought was a master class on how to realign Charlotte Conference so we wouldn't run into these matchups. These things happen. And, you know, Charlotte will, you know, the playoffs are coming. We'll be talking a lot more about Charlotte. But CMS people, if you're upset, he's at Hill State Hoops on Twitter. You can, you know, fill up his DMs. Now it's time for a master class in the high school football preview. The, the best guy I know to break down high school football games is Jonathan Grice. I'm not just setting you up, Grice. We're going to play you music first. All right, Mr. Grice, let's start in the East. Tell me why Gibbons is going to beat Leesville Road. Yeah, I mean, this is a, an exciting game. Again, one for, uh, you know, supremacy within that conference is going to be very critical. But uh, QB Whit Newbauer has got to show why he's the new kid on the block. Uh, he took over for Connor Clark. I think he started the Richmond game. I think it was his first game he started and immediately showed why they had to make the tough decision for him to start over the senior who took them to a state championship in the year uh, the year prior. He's got to continue to be explosive, make smart decisions with a high completion percentage to do everything that offensive coordinator Bill Levy is going to ask him to do in that offense. Uh, next, they have to establish the running game. You know, going through their stats and going through some of their film, they don't have that consistent bell cow like they've had in the past. I'm looking for big back Ryan Ziegler to show up big, though. He seemed to emerge, and I think from a size and production standpoint, he's going to be that guy. But in a tight ball game, like I think this has the potential to be, and it's usually, you know, it usually is, you've got to have that bruising back to take time off the clock and really run that Gibbons offense the way it's it's been in the past. And finally, I mean, Nick Drew's defense has to stop DJ Scott. I love, you know, with, with Nick Drew and, and with that Gibbons defense, when they have a guy that they have to stop and just seeing some of the creative ways, and especially with this Leesboro team, you know, having a, an inexperienced quarterback is John Mark Shaw. You know, DJ Scott is is the guy number one that you have to stop to make sure that they're, that they're able to be successful. And we know that Leesville Road is going to continue to feed him the ball. And I would. He's one of the best running backs in the state. But Nick Drew has to have him circled, highlighted, and everything they're trying to do to highlight DJ Scott. They've got to stop that in order to win the game. Flip it for me. I mean, on the other side, hey, need a lot of DJ Scott. For Leesville Road, he's unquestionably their best player, <clears throat> the most explosive players in this state. He's got to have the ball in many different ways. You know, you can throw him out on a swing pass, get him out there, and again, run him downhill and turn that clock. And for Leesville Road to keep that Gibbons offense off the field, they've got to have a lot of DJ Scott. Got to be the best running back in this game. Got to be the best player in this game for them to be successful. That defense has to force Gibbons to be one-dimensional. One I mean, some of their stars, you know, talk about Michael Purvis, Xavier Lewis, Jacob Lale. They've got to make sure, again, with Newbarrow, while he's been good so far, he still does not have the experience that Gibbons is used to having at that quarterback position. They've got to put him in uncomfortable situations, heat him up, give pressure, give him different looks in order for him to, to make that mistake that they're going to need to be successful here. And then finally, they got to sell in at home. I think this has been one of the most unique situations that we've seen at school, especially down east, that's had in a while. You know, they had five straight away games, and it culminated in a bad 49-7 loss to Wake Forest. Again, I don't think they're that bad, but when you, whenever you have a team that has five straight away games, they went out to Wallace, uh, Wallace Rose Hill, teaching North Carolina. They took those trips and played these tough, tough opponents. Now they've got, they've got a run of games at home. As long as they're able to settle in, I don't think they're as bad as that 49-7 loss, but they've got to show it on the field. 
Absolutely. Man, we got a humongous game in the West. Cleveland County, Gaston County. I bet this game's going to sell out like at 2.30 Friday night. Tell me about South Point's going to upset Kings Mountain. 2.30, I'm seeing pre-sale tickets already going. It might not make it to Friday. I mean, for South Point, again, this is our second straight week in having them. You know, they had Crest last week and were successful. They've got Kings Mountain. The formula doesn't change in Belmont, North Carolina. You do what you do. You run the daggum ball. You got Cam Medlock and Pat Bleed. Freshman Pat Patrick Blee, uh, running quarterback there, he's been really very successful. They did a great job versus Crest, and those two guys just keeping them and churning those yards and being successful and really just being efficient. They didn't need to throw the ball. You're able to get four and five yards and get those chunk plays when that defense is tired or isn't aware, and that's how they were able to be successful. You're going to need to do the same thing. Um, if they're going to take a shot, though, look for Aaron Chaney, the receiver. He has, he's averaging 22.7 yards per game. If they're going to throw the ball, which they're not going to do it a lot, I think they're going to need to against his great Kings Mountain defense. He's the guy you got to circle as that guy that's going to go down the field, surprise the defense, and try to get that big play. Uh, secondly, the defense has to keep showing up. I mean, the defense, South Point's defense has been incredible. Now they've got to do so against the more balanced Kings Mountain offense. I think they had a great plan against Javaris Green. Again, I, I saw some of the film where they had him bracketed. You had a corner in his face and a safety over top. They did a great job and, and was able to make sure that he was uncomfortable. I think he only had about 70 yards or so, you know, much, much below his average. Had four sacks in the game, really just, you know, dominated the, in the trenches. Forrest Husky, you know, the quarterback at, at Crest, all around. I think over 20 hurries they had, and Micah Stowe, the DB for South Point, had a pick. So letting you know that – we're going to make sure we're going to do that now this week against a better Kings Mountain overall more balanced attack. We've got to dominate in the trenches. Yeah, and okay. they've got to dominate time of possession. They do what they do. They held a seven-minute time of possession advantage over Crest. They're going to need to do the exact same thing, if not more, to be successful against Kings Mountain. Flip it for me. Why is Kings Mountain going to win at home? They've got to keep a balanced attack. I think that, you know, with, with that Crest game and watching that, Crest got a little too pass happy, and I think South Point got in a good rhythm you know, with them. I think with Kings Mountain, you know, they've got Lamont, Little John, at quarterback. He can be in the air, get the ball to Jake Lloyd, but you've got Jaqueline Sanders, Bryson Brown, and Caleb Holland that are able to be, you know, guys on the ground that are able to get you some chunk yards and keep South Point from getting in a rhythm of pinning the D-line, pinning their ears back and going to get the quarterback. They've got to defend the rush and the pass to be successful. Secondly, this defense has is on a run. We've talked about them. They've got to continue their dominant performance. They've only given up 21 points in the last four weeks. And really, I think 14 of those points were to Hunter Huss, which that game got out of hand pretty quickly. So they haven't had to deal with, with you know, many offenses that they've had to, you know, really work through. And they've established their dominance there. And then finally, the last piece here, they've got to eliminate complacency. I mean, I think, you know, saving calls are rat poison. They're in a situation where you're seeing on the blogs, you're seeing everybody talk about how they're favored. They're the team that, that, that you know, that, that can't be beat. But we know with this South Point offense and how they go, they get their success when teams lose discipline. So they've got to eliminate complacency, have a heightened sense of awareness against this uh, South Point attack, and make sure that they, they play Kings Mountain Mountain football and come out here with win. Yeah. Chris, is this one of those sneaky South Point teams? You know, they, they handle Crest pretty easy. They can go to Kings Mountain and get a win. I mean, is this one of those teams that can kind of get to the state and be like, man, they did it again? No, South Point, there's nothing sneaky about them. They're just that good. And you got to think about it. You know, former uh, Crest head football coach um, Mark Barnes told me this many years ago that former South Point coach Mickey Leinberger called Paul Johnson, you know, the former Georgia Tech off, uh, coach, called Paul Johnson's offense better than Paul Johnson could at Georgia Tech. It wouldn't matter what he did at Crest uh, defensively. 
Paul Johnson always had a counter to it, regardless of the front, the, the personnel, it didn't matter. And you got to think South Point High School, Adam Hodge grew up in that program. Adam Hodge has eaten, sleeping, and just lived Red Raider football for as long as he has. So, I mean, he knows that program. He knows that Mickey Lamberger offense. He knows South Point football better than anybody uh, there possibly could be right now. And he has got that team rolling. They are talented athletically. Uh, I think they've absolutely got a chance to go out there and win this football game going away. But with that said, this is, again, one of those Kings Mountain teams uh, that is just phenomenal athletically on both sides of the ball. Coach Greg Lloyd has proven many times since he took over that program in 2008 that he is a phenomenal football coach, got them on the precipice of a state championship many times. And I think this year is, again, one of those years that the Mounties uh, could get it done. Uh, I do think it could go either way. I think it would be a back-and-forth game. I think South Point's got a chance. But I just think that ultimately Kings Mountain's probably just got a couple more uh, engines or a couple more cogs in that engine to get it done. Now, fellas, y'all watching, that's off the dome. I just texted him in the back. I said, Chris, can I can I come to you? Sam, didn't I just say that in the back? I said, Chris, can I come to you? That's off the dome. That's why I say he's the number one voice asking football. I mean, there's no competition. I don't care who you watch, who you listen to. That's the guy right there. I don't care. Yeah. Best in the business. And he's got he just he just got Botox just recently. It looks fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Sam, Sam was a lineman growing up, and he, he he feels like we don't talk about linemen enough. So he asked me to do this segment called Frontline Warrior. And if if you're a lineman anywhere in the state and you want to be featured, you can DM Charlotte Preps, you can DM Coach Sam Griner on uh, Twitter, and, and we'll get you on the show. Uh, last week, we had uh, Tyson Moore from uh, Providence Day. And who do we have this week, Sam? This guy's pretty good. All right, we got – trying to get well, another well, play this week. I, We're going against this tough warrior um, this week. He's elected not to play Friday. <laughs> no, that's not true. Victor, yeah. Victor <laughs> is a big-time player. He's actually a defensive tackle, but he's got great enough hands that he can move offensive linemen against their wheel. That's why he's this week's frontline warrior. Another episode of Frontline Warrior. Uh, super excited to have Huff, Victor, Aguilera um, from the great Stevie Williams, D-line coach, one of my favorite in the whole land. It's been like just ranting about Victor. What, does he have a nickname for you, Victor? Uh, no, sir, he does not. Not yet. He has no nickname? Nope. He's got to figure one out, though. Yeah, I mean, Victor, it's so easy, man. You bring in victories. Will you tell me a little bit about your history? I know that you've had some uh, difficulties with injuries, but you've overcame it. Uh, yes, sir. So um, freshman year, I had uh, I had snapped my wrist at the growth plate, so I was out. I played uh, two games that year on JV, and uh, I got pulled up for playoffs that year. Um, but we ended up losing against Richmond. And then sophomore year, uh, sophomore year was a healthy year for me. We played, that was the COVID year, so we had a shortened season. Uh, I played JV and varsity. And um, last year, my junior year, I had for a reoccurring knee pain that I had for around six years. Um, it was called, it was an OCD lesion. So there wasn't enough blood flow going to my kneecap, which I needed some surgery to drill holes into the patella to rejuvenate the blood. So... Uh, I finished PT around springtime of this year, and uh, then we started spring ball. So now I'm just going on with the season. My goodness. I mean, you must be growing like crazy then. How tall are you? You said you're 6'2 or 6'3? I'm 6'3. Wow. 
6'3", comes off the ball like lightning. Physical hands. I can see why he needs to fix his uh, wrist because his hands are explosive. Look at that hit. <laughs> That's coming in like a safety, like a missile right there. And the thing that I love about it, and I know you've been coached up great by Stevie Williams. I, I'm telling you, he's the best D-line coach, not the best, one of the best coordinators of all the land, but definitely been coached by Jim Tom Sula, one of the greatest there have ever been coaching the NFL for many years. Um, we actually played on the same college team, so I know he knows the technique extremely well. But he, you're so good at playing your gap within your technique. So we made a deal. I don't know if you know it, Victor, but you're not allowed to play in the game Friday. Um, you're playing against West Charlotte, and uh, you got to take one game off. We're trying to protect you. So hopefully you're okay with that. Are you good? Uh, yeah, I'm good with that. This is the first time hearing about it, so. No, <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding with you, man. But it's hard to plan for you. You're just extremely explosive. Frontline warrior, we're always representing guys in the trenches. And you do it the right way. You can move another man against his will. You're not necessarily always trying to make a tackle, even though that's a highlight. You're playing your technique, which helps the linebackers behind you. Explain a little bit what goes through the process with you whenever you come off the ball. Uh, well, my first uh, my th first thoughts are from uh, my great coaches, Coach Williams, Coach Phillips, Coach Sherman, Coach Nagy. Those are my D-line coaches. Um, but they always taught me, to, you know, focus, get your hands on the man first, you know, whether it's a reach block, whether it's a down block, whether it's a base block. You know, um, the first instinct is you get your hands on the man and they'll take you to the ball and they'll take you to your gap that you need to fill. And whatever stunts we're doing, get your hands on the man because either you'll make the play or you'll open up a gap for the linebacker to come in. Yeah, I, and I think that's a special way to put it. It's just it's so hard for high school kids because most of the time when the ball is snapped, you want to look with your eyes and find the ball. But like you said, your technique in front of you will take you to the ball, and you do it greatly. And I, I'm proud to say you're our first defensive uh, lineman to be the frontline warrior. Congratulations, and I look forward to seeing you Friday. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. If you want to be the next frontline warrior, please contact me on Twitter. It's uh, Coach Sam Griner or Coach – uh, or you can actually get us at, at Charlotte Preps uh, on Twitter or IG. Please reach out to our DMs, and uh, we would love to highlight you in the Frontline Warrior segment. All right. Dale's back. Uh, Dale came in the back. I was like, there's two Dales back there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm going to be at that Shelby Kings Mountain game. What do you think about that game, dude? I'm, I'm excited for it because – one of the best stadiums to go watch a ball game in is, is Kings Mountain. And Absolutely. these are two big rivals, two great teams. I'm expecting a one-score game. I think Kings Mountain's going to win it, but I think South Point has every opportunity to win it. So I'm excited. All right, Alex, let's go through these rankings real quick. What do you got, 1A? All right, I'll preface all these. You're not going to see a lot of movement in any of these uh, to, to the very accurate point Dale made earlier in the show that holistically we're in a little bit of a down cycle statewide and, mm -hmm. and it's interesting. So you're not seeing a whole lot of movement here in these rankings this week. Tarboro still ruling the roost. Uh, Robbinsville got that big win over Murphy last week uh, in the first of the triumvirate or with uh, Robbinsville, Murphy, Swain, as they start playing each other. Um, Eastern Randolph still rolling along and pretty consistent there, but uh, Tarboro, Robbinsville still leading the way. Okay, Chris, you were talking about that Pine Lake Prep team. They're down there at number 10 again. Oh, Pine Lake Prep's team, that's uh, just done a, a great job. Uh, Coach, Alston, Coach Austin Trotter has done a, a phenomenal job Trotter. there in building that program. 
and uh, I think you're going to continue to see them uh, just get better and better. All right, two way, Alex. Uh, same thing at the top. We talked about Folger Boas and East Surrey earlier. Reeds, well, we know the deal there. So not a whole lot of movement there. Uh, notice the inclusion of Shelby this week. Uh, Shelby made that move to four. Yeah, you, finally, you finally heard me talking about Shelby every week. I keep trying to tell you Shelby's going to be playing in December. I keep trying to tell you. I think we all know that. It just took a matter of time. They got over 500 against an absolutely wicked schedule. Yeah. You stop and look at some of the things that uh, Shelby quarterback uh, Jalen Lee has been able to do. 17 touchdowns and one interception in their four wins. He hadn't had an interception since I don't know when. So if you look at not only the scores, but the efficiency within with with, with which he's leading that offense, Shelby certainly deserves to be in the mix Uh, consistent the rest of the way through. um, I I like that Forest Hills team that's still undefeated. uh, Another defensive coordinator in the state, on whom we should keep our eyes. Frank Toms the third at Forest Hills, who's done a fantastic job with that Yellow Jacket defense this year as they continue to move. I think that 2A class, Nikki, could be a little mini fight club, Grace, come to playoffs. I really do. I think that's going to be a tough class. 3A. Well, we've got what we want here. We got one and three. Right? I mean, we, we got what we want here. Uh, one and three, and they certainly deserve it. The 71st uh, in Fayetteville still rolling right along there, but uh, you're, you're seeing right here why everyone's so excited about this Kings Mountain and South Point game. Uh, looking forward to what uh, Dale is able to tell us next week from his eyewitness perspective. Um, after that, the same thing, you just same teams just keep rolling right along. Northern Nash, Lee County, both continuing undefeated. Tuscola, undefeated. Crest just with the drop. I mean, but that was against South Point. But then again, once again, you see the same teams exchanging positions, but one and three, that's where it's at, and we're looking forward to it. All right, let's uh, go to the Fight Club in 4A. Let me find it and get it on the screen. Here we go. I want to leave a little bit of the thunder for what's going to come uh, a little later on the show with uh, Desmond Johnson and East Forsyth. So we'll talk about talk about that a little later. Okay. Uh, East Forsyth just being efficient. We talk about what do you do in conference play to go through the doldrums of conference play. We talked about that earlier. Well, East Forsyth just continues to be efficient. And they're beating who's in front of them and doing what they have to do to put themselves in a favorable position for going down the stretch. I mean, we see the same thing out of Grimsley, Huff remaining focused mm-hmm. as they got that big win over Chambers, but keep moving ahead. Newburn got the big win over Havelock, keep moving ahead. Cleveland changed the names and changed the faces. They're still undefeated. Chambers right there in the mix right there, as, as always, even with the tough setback to Huff. But that's a testament to what Sam said earlier. Hey, you're going to just drag through conference play. No, you can't do it in the conference. Some of these schools play. So that's a testament there. Cardinal Gibbons with the big uh, game with Leesville Road coming up. Mallard Creek, same thing in in, in that conference that we all know. Weddington with another big win. Millbrook with the big win over Heritage. So we're seeing the strength of certain conferences Mm -hmm. and certain teams just, just moving right along. They're beating Who's in front of them? And that's just all. Curious, just curious, Rice, where would you rank a Butler and a Charlotte Catholic? Are they in the 10 to 11 to 15 range or 15 to 20? Where would you have them? 
higher. Yeah, no, I, I, without question. I think I think much Butler can penalized a little much for that loss to New Hanover. I think it was a bad loss, but I don't think it was, who, you know, kind of representing who they are as a team. That's a dang good football team. And somebody, hey, one of these teams you're not going to want to see in November. I know. I think Charlie Cap's a dang good football team, and they took Providence Day to the wall, and I think Providence Day may be the best team in North Carolina. That, yeah, no, I, I mean, again, I think Catholics there, but I, kudos to them and you know for playing a tough schedule. And I think that's what you get with, with some of these rankings where you have teams that have played tougher schedules that, hey, maybe they're not in this ranking, but when we see the playoffs come out and looking at the RPI, they're rewarded there for those tougher schedules. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough job that, that I was doing. I'm just, I mean, I'm not criticizing. I, I'm just curious where, where you might have them uh, rank. Uh, speaking of East Forsyth, we, we uh, actually, because of Grace, we got a chance to talk to uh, Desmond Johnson, who covers a lot of their games, is one of the big radio personalities down there. And he had a, a little message. I think a lot of CMS people may want to listen to. My man, Coach Christ, I know that it was a conversation we had earlier in the year. Is East Forsyth the best team in the state? Is there somebody here in Charlotte? I don't know. Hey, but this season, we're going into week eight. Uh, East has yeah. certainly been getting the job done. But I wanted us to bring in a local expert, uh, my man Desmond Johnson from Tobacco Road Sports Network. He is with East Forsyth High School every week. He knows the ins and outs of triad football. And I know he's got his finger on the pulse of football around the state as well. Uh, so, Desmond, join Coach Christ and myself. Let's talk about – Coach Todd Willard and that East Forsyth juggernaut that they've got going on, are they the best team in the state? Um, I think they can make an argument um, at this point. They, they've they passed every test in front of them so far um, with flying colors. And it, it's crazy. Like, I think their defense is underrated. It, it's really weird because <laughs> nobody's really talking about the defense and what they've been doing. Uh, but they've been shutting places down. Uh, good teams, too. Um, we went to Rollsville week two, and uh, they beat Rollsville – 47 to nothing. They were on a running clock start of the third quarter. And Rollsville is one of the top teams in the East, if I'm not mistaken, or were at the time. Um, they're just well built. The, half the team are three-year starters. Uh, this is a, this is the remnants of the 2021 three and four spring team that East Forsyth had uh, that should have been the, the three-peat team for 2020. Uh, but COVID happened and uh, like eight, nine kids left for D1 scholarships. They didn't know if they are going to play. So they basically played the JV on a varsity schedule. Those kids are seniors now. Jalen Rayner, R.J. Brown, Matthew Joins. Those guys are three-year starters and have been living in the weight room <laughs> for three years. And you can see the difference on the field. It's crazy where, like, uh, Rayner in particular, it just looks like he's playing a different game than everybody else. He's just a different speed than a lot of these teams are playing against. And so far, I haven't seen a team that's really been able to, to punch back uh, for a full four quarters with East Forsyth uh, up here. Now, we know that's going to start getting uh, trickier after they get out of October, and that's their goal. Their goal is not conference championship. Their goal is state championship, like, to a T, every single player. That's their mentality. Um, and I, I think they can get there. I think they got a good shot. Without question. I mean, I think, you know, you bring up some great points there. You know, I want to touch on, you know, I know Guru and I, I think we're, we're down on the sideline, you know, the East Forsyth Huff game last year, and, and we're able to watch that. And, you know, I think the prevailing thought was that East Forsyth had a really good team, but, you know, it wasn't enough against a, a very talented Huff Husky team. So, you know, for us down here in the 704, even though I do have my three to six ties, I always say that. But, you know, talk about the difference in this team. I mean, I have Jalen Alexander Rayner as the number one player right now as it stands in the state as far as our Mr. Football rankings. Talk about his improvement and talk about the team's overall improvement and how you think they can fare against some of the top teams down here. That that playoff run last year, I think, set it up for this year because uh, they had to go down to Charlotte twice because we had to go down yep. uh, to Audrey Kell. We played yep. there, and then uh, 
we played Huff two weeks later after when we had Glenn in between it. And uh, that that row of games that they had, I think, taught this team that they need to get in the weight room. They need to get bigger, uh, especially the Huff game in particular. Uh, a lot of those players have said that was probably the toughest game they played last year. A lot of respect to, to Huff and the 704 programs down there. But to be honest, I, I catch the vibe from a lot of these East Forsyth kids that they're just kind of tired of the the – the idea that 704 is just naturally better at football than they are. They're like they don't rep the entire 336. They're just like, we got something to say too. You know, we've got rings the same period of time as Chambers does. Like when they were walking in Chapel Hill to play their state championship game, we were walking out because we just won our ring. You know, like it's one of those things where I think they're looking for that respect and they understand that they got to beat those teams to get it. Uh, the problem is, the 4A West is so loaded. You got to go through probably <laughs> – you probably got to go through like three top ten teams just to get out of the West. And then you're going to have a Cardinal Gibbons or somebody waiting on you in the state championship. You got to play like four probably top ten squads in the state to win the 4A. Um, it's a gauntlet. So I can't sit here and say that East is the de facto giant number one because there's there's dogs out there. Chambers out there. Huff's out there. Uh, you know, Weddington's going to have something to say about it. But uh, Grimsley, Grimsley's undefeated right now. But, uh, yeah, I think if I had to pick a, a horse to ride right now, a team that I feel like is the most complete with the most experience, it, it would be East Forsyth. Yeah, I agree with you, Desmond. I'm just going to say this. You know, a lot of people say, you know, they, they just seem surprised that East Forsyth is on the steam. Maybe they forget about the back-to-back -back state championship runs a couple years ago. Don't forget, you know, Todd Willard's about 20 years into being the head coach at East Forsyth. Yeah. Um, I remember their rise to the 4A back around 2008, 9, and 10. Don't forget they had a pivotal, I mean, a tough uh, regional final game against Butler that was like a 10 to – 18 to 10 or 20 to 10 game a couple 10 years ago and they've been on that rise trajectory for a long time uh and, and i still say the most underrated part of that team that nobody talks about is coach aaron bill's defense i mean i, I think that they are uh they're, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with they are that defense is a problem they've got d1 kids at every level uh right now um they got nick and nate martin uh the martin twins on the left and right side where once you get to around about third quarter, it's like a race to the quarterback. It's crazy watching them play because it's like every play of a quarterback's dropping back. It's just you just see the two of them <laughs> just like converging in the backfield. R.J. Brown uh, might be the best middle linebacker I've seen in this area in a while. Uh, he just got these instincts and he got some size on him now. And then you got guys like Matthew Joins and Nigel Gay in the back. That defense, Aaron, Aaron Beal, Coach Beal has done a fantastic job with this team. And it's a carryover from last year. If you remember in the state playoff run, they went three or four games without allowing a touchdown before they got yeah. the Huff. And in that Huff game, uh, it was a battle of field goals, really. Two of the best kickers yeah. in the state uh, at the time going back and forth. And I think uh, I think Rayner had like a fumble or something uh, way deep back in their territory, which led to a touchdown, and that ended up being the difference. So it wasn't like a, a Huff blowout or anything of that sort. I think it kind of showed East they could run with those guys. They just need to get over the hump. And I think that loss is fueling what they're doing right now but they're super focused. I've been around a lot of these East Forsyth teams over the past 15 years, and this one might be one of the most talented squads that Willard's put together, and that includes the 2015 team that lost to Mallard Creek in that epic West Regional 4AA final up here in uh, overtime. Double overtime. Beale, double overtime. Had Christian Beal Smith on it, uh, Nikkei Martin and those boys. This team is, like, too deep, like, almost at every spot. Uh, and I think when I tell people, they don't believe it <laughs> until they watch it, but – they're legit. Like they are for real legit. And uh, if they just stay one week at a time. I think they'll, they'll have as good of a shot as anybody.
Yep. And I want to ask his last question and then we can wrap Desmond. I feel like we could talk to you for five hours about football. <laughs> this is great. But, you know, that last piece I think was important where you talked about the last game that you guys held at home, you know, against a big time opponent. You know, one of the big things about having you guys, you know, as a as a major proponent in the 4A Fight Club is having to travel up there. I mean, it's not a, you know, crosstown robber. It's not Huff Chambers where it's a 15 minute drive. It's, you know, it's really kind of disrupting your day and ensuring these kids are locked in. So, I mean, how do you and maybe how do the coaches feel that having that home field, you know, how important is that for them to make sure that, hey, we'll take all comers here because Huff, I think, really got into a good rhythm with having those games at home. And I think it really led to them being able to put themselves, you know, in a position ultimately to get over that hump, even though they were un- unsuccessful. So how important well, is that, do you think, to the kids and coaches? I think it's super important. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a different thing to, you know, get out of your own bed, not to worry about an hour and a half drive, eating early, you know, whether the I think Huff had like a turf, um, it wouldn't even like natural grass, like stuff like that. Playing at the nest in Kernersville, it's a different experience. The um, the East Forsyth community, the, the the community of Kernersville, the the fan base, uh, the the staff, the faculty, there there there's something different over there. Where like they they are really into the athletic programs over here, and it and it kind of reflects back in terms of how much success East Forsyth has had in athletics the past couple of years in terms of football or winning conference championships in basketball. The softball team was in the state championship the past two years running. Like it all carries over. And I think if uh, this Eagle team gets home field throughout the playoffs, uh, I think that they'll have a very good shot. Like if they played Huff here last year, that game might've went a little different, but I think the big difference between this year's team and last year's team, last year's team, if we ran into a Huff or a Chambers, I would look at it like, okay, they got to do this, 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 and this to have a shot to win this year. I'm like, I can't wait to see it. Like I want to see them match up. Cause I feel like that they're ready like this year to actually do it. And iron sharpens iron. You want to play the best team. So, I mean, we get it, you know, chambers, uh, the teams down there, they, they win rings, they do their thing. But I think in the end, East will have something to say regarding it either way. Um, they're just, they're a loaded, well coached team uh, full of talented D one guys. Uh, and they're fun to watch. Man, uh, Tim Pryor got—he was fielded doing an interview. He, you know, he's going to Eastern Sykes a little bit. Guru, I let you be the defender of Eastern Sykes. What do you say to that? Now, let's see. Eastern Sykes won championships in dual classes. You know what? There, there, there's truth to that, and and I don't disagree with uh, what Mr. Tim Pryor is saying. Uh, but I still go back the, the four or five years before that when Eastern Sykes was a bona fide four double A team, and they took Butler to the extreme limit. A couple years in a row uh, when they were in the Big Four Ray. Let's not forget the what the double overtime uh, champ, uh, regional final game against Mallory Creek. Uh, when the Creek was in the midst of their three-peat when they were one of the most dominant teams we've ever seen in the state. So East Forsyth has shown that at different times they can easily compete with the big dogs. And, oh, by the way, they did win the, the regular 4A championship when it was just before subdividing back in the 90s too. So, you know, they're no stranger to big, being on a big-time stage. Yeah, I think it's going to be really important that Saturday of the, the assuming Huff and Eastern Sykes both remain undefeated, um, who gets the number one seed? Or it may be Grimsley in there too, but who is higher ranked between those two teams? Because I think home field, as Grice alluded to in the interview, is going to be huge in, in that game. Because um, it, it is different going up to Eastern Sykes. I've been up there a couple of times. It's a little bit different. I assume they'll use RPI for that to decide that. Yeah, I, I don't know how they decide. <laughs> Honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, East is one right now in RPI. So, I mean, yeah. that's, yeah, they've yeah. got the, they're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Right. All right. 
So uh, we are five minutes away from my favorite segment of the show, which is Coach versus Coach. But before we get there, we got to do fresh faces and find out who Grice and Chris picked out as the stars of tomorrow today. All right, my man, Coach Christ, here we are, my favorite segment of the show, Fresh Faces. Going into week eight, we've got some great uh, young men to highlight. Let's go all the way up to the Hilltop, Boone, North Carolina, Watauga High School. Uh, my man, William Curtis, 5'10", uh, 180-pounder. He's a senior, but he's a fresh face. 24 carries, 181 yards, five touchdowns, uh, and the 56-7 victory over South Caldwell. Uh, you know, he's playing for Coach Ryan Havoc. And, you know, they run the ball all over the field on the season. He's got 688 yards, 12 touchdowns, almost eight yards of carry, Coach Christ. This is a big-time player. I love it. And to be that be back in that offense, you've got to be efficient. you got to be great with your numbers. And to see that 24 times for 181 yards, you've got to be efficient. And I you know, I love them. You know, I, call, I love their Twitter, the perfect effort. He seems to embody that with this program. And I'm excited to see kind of what he's able to do as they go through the season. Because, you know, as it gets cold, hey, it's harder and harder to tackle those bodies like that. You're absolutely right. And if they could get some home field advantage and teams have to travel up there on the hill. I remember 2006, an epic uh, fourth round playoff game between them and West Charlotte. Uh, that was worth a touchdown in the home field advantage just playing up there in Boone. So uh, oh, we'll yeah. have to keep an eye out for William Curtis. For sure. All right, man. Now let's go over to Welcome, North Carolina, North Davidson High School. Xavion oh. Hayes. Hayes crossed the thousand yard mark. I had 177 yards and two touchdowns in a 45 to seven victory over Montgomery Central on Friday. Uh, those are big time numbers, Coach Christ. Oh, you see speed. That's what you see from him. I mean, again, an explosive athlete behind there, you know, already at a thousand yards. I mean, a guy that we've got to look at, you know, he's a, you see him right there just getting tough, hard yards. A guy that one guy's not taking him down. It's two, three, four guys that are going to have to come to the party to get to him. And you see one little crease that he's able to get that is six, seven, eight yards, which is great for a North Davidson offense that loves this good run game. Well, let's mo go out to, um, Western Piedmont to Chase High School. Uh, Jalen Rudisell had 19 carries, uh, 181 yards, three touchdowns as the Trojans knocked off uh, powerhouse Hendersonville, 35 to 16 to remain unbeaten. Uh, Rudisell had 544, has 544 yards on the season, 29 carries, averaging almost 20 yards an attempt, six touchdowns, leads the team in rushing. Oh, by the way, ahead of Mr. Football candidate. Uh, Marquise McCombs, who has 37 yards, 466 yards. And obviously, you know, you can see the film. They they are loading up the box on McCombs. He is that dangerous. Uh, but, man, it looks like Rudisell is taking up the slack. Well, you knew that. I mean, last year, I feel like last year's talking preps, darling, was Marquise McCombs out of chase. And, I mean, again, you know that they're going to load the box. They're going to make sure they take care of, of whatever they have to to make sure McCombs is stopped. That's always going to open it up for somebody else. And we see that Rudisill has taken full advantage of that and ensuring that he's the explosive number two guy to go to in that chase offense. They've been explosive all year, and we were waiting for McCombs to get that jump. But we understand, again, there are other guys that are out there playing defense, too, that watch our show, too, that know we've got to stop McCombs at all costs if we want to have any chance of winning our game. But we knew eventually with this explosive chase offense, somebody was going to reap the benefits, and Rudisil's that guy. 
Yeah. And we've got one last fresh face. And again, we always seem to talk about offensive guys, but let's talk about a guy really getting it done on the defensive side of the field. Uh, let's go over to Pine Lake Prep up there in Mooresville. Uh, man, I want to tell you what, Coach Austin Trotter has that team uh, really firing on all cylinders. They had that big 21 to 10 victory over the Christ King, who also, by the way, is an up and coming private school team. Uh, but Jack Smith, sophomore defensive end, you know, one of those tough guys with their hand in the dirt or on the turf in this case, in this case had eight tackles, four for a loss, three sacks. Uh, I don't care what league you're in, Coach Bryce. You have that kind of production from the defensive end spot with your hand on the ground all night. That's a big-time game. Definitely. And Coach Trotter, I love Coach Trotter. Shout-out to him. But, you know, he's got a lot of these young guys on that defense. And, you know, it's good to see. And, and you know, we, we see very much so why he's fighting for first place in that conference with great performances like this from his sophomore defensive tackle. Again, a guy that you've got to account for. I don't care. You know, we talk about private schools and – you know, maybe some of the undersized linemen. He looks to be a dominant force to where any of these guys you put in front of him, he's going to make sure that he overwhelms them and gets to that quarterback or that running back or whoever has the ball, that guy's him. So shout out to Coach Trotter again. Some of these young guys for him really stepping up and becoming big-time players and is a big part of the reason of why they're – I think they're still undefeated, and that's a big part of that reason. No question. Oh, well, that was four incredible young fresh faces that we highlighted today. Uh, if we got some young uh, guys out there that's getting it done, some – sophomores, juniors, maybe a freshman, or maybe a senior that nobody's heard about. How can they get in touch with us and get on the show? Yeah, reach out to Ed Langston, where it's junior, Ed Observer Preps. Reach out to me, at Coach Jay Grice. Some of these guys that are having great performances that may not be gym-worthy, I think are fresh-face-worthy because a lot of these guys are having big-time performances week after week. We need to highlight them and get them in front of, you know, in front of the viewers, in front of the coaches, in front of everybody that's paying attention because these are the guys, if they're not now, they've got next. They got next. I got it. We got Here we are, man. We're in the free shop. You know what that means. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. <laughs> All right, man, here we are, uh, coach versus coach. I got my man Sam Griner on one side. I got my coach Jonathan Grice, who, by the way, I saw called a masterful uh, game last night over at A.O. Brown High School. Uh, I got him on the other side. Uh, we already flipped the coin in the background, and I know Coach Griner is going to defer. So we're coming here to Coach Griner, the OC of this deal, uh, best OC in the state of North Carolina. Hey, guys, which is the toughest classification in the state of North Carolina this year? Coach Grice, you're up. Oh, man, I got to give the answer that that Groner, the guru, that Langston's not going to expect me to say. It's the 3A. It's 3A is the toughest classification. I mean, we're not even going to talk about, you know, our, our fellow 3A playoff participant on the show, um, Sam Griner, head coach of the West Charlotte Lions. If you look at the 3A and just how many teams are just, you know, are at the top there, you got Kings Mountain and South Point, two top teams there. You've got East Lincoln, maybe 30 minutes away, that's undefeated. You've got Crest. Oh, by the way, Dudley's four and two. Like Dudley's still sneaking around in the background. There's going to be a tough out that's out there still waiting. Let's flip it to the east. You can go Eastern Alamance, one of the top running backs in the state there, top linebackers as well. Jays Rose, 71st out in Fayetteville, Northern Nash, Ledford, Smithfield, Selma, 6-0. Pretty much all these teams I said are 6-0 or 5-1 at the worst. Lee County, 6-0. All of these teams, by virtue of their schedule, aren't able to play each other yet. So you're going to have a situation where guys are going into the playoffs probably as 15 seeds as freaking nine and one. It's going to happen this year. And when you look at it, 
that is going to be tough. And there are going to be some nine and one teams with first round exits because they're getting beat by another eight and two or 10 and 0 team. That's actually better than them, but they don't get the high ranking because, because they played a tougher schedule. You know, it's funny you say that because three, a is dense. It's, it's very <laughs> difficult to understand. You got Kings. That was pretty good. You know, I didn't think you'd go that route, but you know, there might even be like a five and five team in there that might some, make some noise, you know, Kings mountain, oh. definitely a dominant team South point. Um, really dominant, but everybody else, it's 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 a fight. You don't know what's going to happen now. If you're talking about the best teams, obviously it's class, the classification is the 4A. Um, you have really, really good teams. East Forsyth, Huff, Chambers, who always makes it to the championship. They always get better when it gets cold. Catholic sneaks in there. Weddington's going to be tough to deal with. Independence is on the rise. I still think 4A is the toughest classification there is. Because you have teams. He doesn't even have like, his voice, Guru. He doesn't even have his voice. I hear him argue. He doesn't even have He's like, I think 4A is the toughest classification. Coach Christ, Coach Christ, Christ goes like for a reason. He's right. But I agree with you, 3A. And, and, Grace, you didn't even mention a team that I think is so under the radar that I, that I would give high odds to go into the third or fourth round, fifth round, whatever it is these days. Burlington Williams. Don't sleep, yeah. on, sleep on them Bulldogs. Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. They are nasty. All right, uh, Coach Griner, coming back to you here for the second uh, question. Should the NCHSAA require all high schools to have a play clock in the end zone? Um, I hope they don't because I enjoy getting the officials to get a little lazy. I like to milk the clock a little bit, and we'll we'll run a 70-second play clock. You know, if they if they allow us, hey, if I don't see that hand go up, <laughs> we might go 70-second play clock. So, you know, I'm hoping they don't do that because we'll take advantage of that. You know, you got to be able to adjust to the officiating. Um, I think that a lot of teams don't do that. We try to adjust by the end of the second quarter. All right, we're gonna have a little bit more time out of the huddle. If we got a lead, we're gonna we're gonna play four corners and we're gonna milk the clock a little bit more. We don't necessarily want to do 70, 80 reps on offense. We want to do 42 reps on offense and limit the injuries because we're not very deep. Did I even? I didn't even get close to a delay game. I think one time we called a timeout because something was going on. The play clock for, and for our offense is just a nice little statue in the corner of the field. I don't even know what's going on with it. If it if it becomes a factor in my game, I'm doing something wrong as a coach. But no, honestly, there needs to be play clocks at all schools. I think for the biggest thing, one we've already talked about the ref situation. We've got more inexperienced refs. We've got enough people that you know, I've kind of got to get the flow. I would like for something standard to be there within each stadium to say, all right, here's the play clock. There's no arguing. You're not arguing delay a game there. You're not arguing where whether a referee and, and how, how the clock is being ruled. We need some sort of standard there to alleviate that from the referees on the field so that they can worry about other things that are going on. That's one less thing off of their pocket. So I, I think that they should require all schools to do it but I can understand that financially it's not feasible to do so. Yeah, and Coach Christ, I was standing with Dale while we was watching your game last night, and I think A.L. Brown High School's got the best chain crew I've seen in the state of North yeah. Carolina. Those games are Johnny on the spot, on it all the time. Yeah, and those two different time. times that yeah. we saw you guys snap before they even got the chain sets. I mean, you guys were on it. Y'all didn't need a play clock. I want to disagree with you, though. I don't think they need a standardized clock because – I've seen a lot of schools that have the clock that don't even get used because they don't have nobody to run it. Or you got a guy out there running it who's not paying attention. The next thing you know, it's off. So, you know, I like that back judge right there. Like Coach uh, Griner said, he sticks that arm up in the air and starts doing it back and forth. You know when it's time to snap the ball as a quarterback. Uh, but anyway, uh, Coach Christ coming to you uh, for this final question here in Coach versus Coach. What's the hardest call uh, to officiate in a high school game? The hardest call to officiate, I mean, it's clear, and I don't I don't even know if there's really an argument here. It's pass interference. 
I think it's the one tough judgment call. I think it's the one thing that, and even I'll give it to Griner on the on the offensive side. It's harder for guys to judge OPI than anything. I mean, I think that's what you'll see. I mean, I, I you know, I, my receivers, I, I tell them and encourage them to be aggressive just because in a lot of those situations, if an official or if a back judge throws that flag, unless my guy is doing something extremely just, you know, egregious, they're not getting an OPI call. I think that's just – it's a tough call. There are certain parameters I've learned even just through my time that you that you make that call. But a lot of times you'll see young back judges who are a little hesitant to throw it or you have guys that are err on the side of not throwing it unless it's a major call, which is standard. It's how you're supposed to do it. But it's just really tough to officiate those individuals' bang-bang situations while you're moving 40 yards down the field or while you got a guy coming at you and determining was it a flag or not. Um, that's – I mean, that's definitely arguable. Um a lot of times the ball is coming at the guy, so it's easier to see. I think it's it's called wrong a lot of times. Like any type of contact, they obviously give it to the offensive guy, so they get it wrong. But the hardest call to officiate is probably holding, um, in my opinion. Now, if you're just dominating another man and you're just driving him, your hands are in here tight, and you're just driving that sucker, you, you whoop this tail. I, they call holding sometimes if he just gets drove back 20 yards. I think that's a terrible call. Now, if they get outside and they're reaching, the guy played his his technique better and beat him and didn't get reached or something like that on the outside zone, and he's grabbing and trying to pull him in, yeah, that's a holding call. Those are the obvious ones. But there's too many holding calls where there's just someone just steamrolled somebody. That's not holding. That guy's got to get better. <laughs> Man, I've got film. Oh, you are so right. I've got film. We like, I, and I was talking with the late Norman coaches. We're, I'm sorry, Lance, we're going over. I was talking with the late Norman coaches because, you know, when it comes to stop blocking a triple option team, I grew up a triple option receiver. I'm mm-hmm. going to make sure my guys are blocking at that standard. We're pancaking guys and we're doing our job. Hands are getting outside. We're not taking them down. They're calling it holding. Like, I'll give this one to you just because. I mean, we've had this conversation mm-hmm. so many times where my guys are doing their job and I'm having to tell them to stop doing their job well. Because if you do it well, they get scared and call holding. So I mean, it's it is tough. Now I've got to go with you on that all day. It's not yeah, holding is not necessarily when you grab shoulder pads, that is a block. That is not holding. Holding is like you know, grabbing someone from going outside. They've already beat the technique of what you're trying to do. That's we need to correct the holding call. We're about to take this show over with some with some freaking forget <laughs> clock. <laughs> I mean, we weren't running so late. I let you guys let you guys go there. Uh, Gary does such a good job writing these questions every week. It's not me, y'all. It's Gary writing these questions. Here, answer this question. What's the hardest call to officiate? Answer your own question. Pass interference. Why so? Pass interference because one, there are not enough eyes on the play. You only got one back judge. Um, you really don't have guys looking at it from a side angle like you do at the college and and NFL uh, levels. And then also a lot of times uh, high school referees are not supposed to take in consideration as if the ball was catchable or not. You know, in the pros, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, it was interference, but the ball wasn't catchable, so it it doesn't matter. Well, they don't do that in high school. If you mm. interfere, you interfere whether the ball was catchable or not. No matter what I ask Gary to do, he always ends up low on the screen like that. We, 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 like Gary, sit up high every week. Gary settles. Get in front of the end of the show. He's out here like that. Gary settles. Gary settles. Yeah, what's the hardest call to officiate a high school game? I have to agree it's PI, and it's, again, that's not having enough officials. So we don't have side – 
uh, judges, which I think really impacts uh, a lot of the, the plays that maybe a an official would see that it's actually an offensive pass interference. And I, and I think that's one that gets missed a lot is when the offensive player is uh, interferes. And again, it's because of the angles that the officials are at. They really can't see because we only have one back judge back there. So. Yeah, it is. It's all it's defensive holding versus pass interference. I was talking to Dale last night at the A.L. Brown Cox Mill game about this. There was a call. I think A.L. Brown was on offense and they called pass interference when the ball hadn't been released yet. And I'm like, no, that's incorrect. It should have been defensive holding. There's not enough refs to see whether the ball was released and if it was truly holding or if it was truly a pass interference. Because, you know, as everyone knows, the rule is if the ball's already thrown, then it becomes pass interference, 15-yard penalty, whereas the holding's only 10, I believe. So, Well, how about getting a P.I. at the goal line and only getting half the distance to the goal? And, and no <laughs> automatic first down. That's yeah, that's not that's a good. good. That's I the other thing. It's not automatic in high school. I exactly, yeah, but I, it shouldn't be that I way. At every other level, it is. You know, one week, one week, we, one week before the season's over, we're not gonna have any topics. I mean, no, no pre stuff. We're just gonna let you guys argue for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like every we'll time, all these offensive guys on here. Every time the ball's incomplete. They uh-huh. think it's pass interference. <laughs> I gotta give. I gotta I give Cox no Grace playing a triple option, triple option offense. Where'd you get all that passing what? stuff? And you were out there just. He was the prop. He was the prop. It's like you were like, oppressed. Like you don't get to like. He was oppressed. Yeah, so it's like you go the other way. Langston, yeah. let me give Cox Mill a plug. If anybody wants to go watch a dynamic bunch of athletes play, yeah. go watch Cox Mill. I really enjoyed watching that team. Play last night. Tyrell Corey they were very explosive. Grace, you scored three some more three times, right? Or four times? Or three or four? Uh, three times. Of our three team. times, yeah. That's, and that's number good. seven, I love that kid. And I hey, kept saying it last I, night, I all you, night. I was supposed to tell you, Chachi Sullivan told me to tell you, which we're going to get him on here. I've already right. confirmed that. We're going to get Chachi Sullivan on Chachi here. Chachi, really going to come on there? Come on, Chachi. He said, if seven wasn't a crisis, Jim, that's Kendall Harris, uh, my senior receiver. Committed to mercy. It wasn't a crisis, Jim. That uh, he was going to have me reported and taken off the show. So exactly, seven is a gem. Chachi, Chachi, newsflash: these two dudes pick <laughs> crisis gems. Those yeah. two. So seven is a diamond. Put them in jail, not, not me. <laughs> put them in jail, not me. All right, we're real heavy. I got to put the big star in his in his. Uh, hold on, let me get him in his in his little one shot. So he what is this red? Like, I don't hey man. You supposed to be listen, listen, What is this red? That's maroon. That's maroon. We need a little gold, little gold next time. That's all it is. Um, and really it's also coming of, off on the left side over there. Really proud, really proud of West Charlotte, though. Coming off, you know, two wins in a row and uh, very difficult wins that were, you know, close games. Just proud of those guys. They're grinding, they're getting better and better. And I'm excited to go against the you know the juggernauts of the of the four A the next two games. So we'll see where we're at. Man, I thought you got something philosophical to say this week. Just, no, not hey, crazy. Hey, I'm just gonna get out of there with a dub, baby. Good work, good work, good work. Cameron yeah. <laughs> says he got something for you, Grace. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah, well, since I gave Grace uh, some crap a few weeks ago, I gotta you know give Sam the same treatment. And yeah, what you got for Huff this week? So yeah, you. <laughs> He don't want Big Aguilera to play. He's trying to get Big Aguilera not to play. 
Yeah, I don't think he needs to play this game. DMPCD, um, as we say. But here's the thing. All right, we're we, it's our home game, but we have to play at Huff. That's how difficult it is for us right mm-hmm. now. Okay. Right, tell tell this, one more thing. You playing at Huff? Yeah, why do you have to play at Huff? What else not available? Um. Now, something we worked out beforehand, they're yeah, going to give us the gate or something like that because it was some oh, money. Difficult. Yeah, you just, money. You just this have sounds like you got to play on the field. Cars, field and they got to go to state back in the 90s. Yeah. We just want to see – we want to see the different perspective. We're going to be on that, that the other sideline. We're going to put them on the visitor sideline and yeah. say, they, you know, to see You're going to hurt the money gate if you do that. Yeah. <laughs> just let them bring their people and just go play, Yeah, man. but you got to play them at, at their place and get on the bus and go there. Yeah, you Sam, you just text me and ask me what Deion Sanders is not going to like this. I just, I just want to play West Charlotte. Lord. Next year, next. Well, that's supposed to be finished in August. I really hope they finish in August. Don't come telling you in August that you got to wait till September, October. I Listen, I, they told me I had two years and we play at home. This is year three, so yeah. I don't know. All, right, hey, all right, well, hey, now, Sam, since parking mm-hmm. is a problem, are they going to make basketball play on the road too? No, our soccer team plays at home. Everybody plays at home but us right now. Welcome to the West Side, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) You really know the West Side now. You're learning the West Side. This ain't ain't like Ice Cube or some music behind him. Welcome to the West Side. (laughs) Welcome to the West Side. We we are like beyond here. It's 952. And, uh, so we're gonna get out of here. All right, Dale. We need to picture with Dale saying, Welcome to the West. Side. I know, right? Welcome there to the West. That's Sam Grind, the head coach of West Charlotte High School. Dale Ross, one of the most well respected longtime followers of high school football that I know. The gurus, we always tell you, no more voice high school football. Cameron Williams, the get the goat, the uh, goat, the uh, guru <laughs> in training. <laughs> Jonathan Grice, number two voice high school football, North Carolina. Gary Rich, my frat brother, and the contrarian Alex Bass. And we are talking press. Not yet. Grice, the most exciting.